to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Meg Durham, and today we're talking all things money. When you hear the words money, budget, finances, what comes to your mind? And how do you approach your money? Do you have a plan? Or do you avoid it and hope everything will work out down the track? Did you know that women retire with 42% less super, almost half of women find money decisions overwhelming and stressful, and women over the age of 55 are the fastest growing group to experience homelessness? If this sends a shock through your nervous system, don't worry. Today's guest, Molly Benjamin, is here to help us rethink our personal finances. Molly is the author of the book, Girls Just Want to Have Funds, a practical and empowering guide to personal finance for women. She's the founder of the Ladies Finance Club and has had over 35,000 women attend an event, masterclass or workshop, and has partnered and run corporate workshops with the likes of Google, Pinterest, Deloitte and Audible. Molly's mission is simple, to help make women rich so they have full control and freedom over their lives. In this conversation, we discuss... What stops us from taking control of our personal finances? The common myths about money, how we can can take control of our financial future and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Molly Benjamin. Molly, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thanks for having me, Meg. Today, we're going to be talking about your book, Girls Just Want to Have Funds. A Practical and Empowering Guide to Personal Finance. What inspired you to write this book? Well, I was a big lover of The Barefoot Investor. I don't know if you've read that one, Scott Pape. That really helped me kind of go, oh, this actually is really not as complicated as I thought it was. But I knew for a lot of my girlfriends, they would never pick up their book if their life depended on it. And they were never going to read that book. So when the opportunity came to write something, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could write something for women by a woman where I can interview my favorite women in finance because I connect with so many and we can put together a really fun book, which is to be designed to be done with your girlfriends, where it takes you through a real journey of understanding everything you need to know to get your financial foundations started. And that's kind of what I I hope it achieves. And I am a one of three girls. I love women. I think women are incredible. And I thought, okay, well, everything's fun when I do it with my girlfriends. So yeah, at the end of each chapter, there's like a little action list where women can, you know, have their own get together, their own brunch, and they can work through the points. Because it's something, you know, money is that thing we go out to earn every single day, but we've never either been taught about how to manage it or yeah, We just kind of keep our head in the sand because it all seems a little bit tricky or a little bit complicated, which it's not. We just don't know. We just need someone to help. 
guide us. Yes, I fall into that camp of too tricky, too hard basket. Let's not think about it. So what stops us from taking control of our personal finances? Yeah, and so I think there's a number of different things. One of them is we're just not socialized to talk about money at all. You know, it's not like women prefer to talk about their own death than they do about money. And when you look at history, you know, it wasn't that long ago that women would have their own bank account, that they could buy a property in their own name, that they could even have a credit card without a male signature. So we haven't been talking about money for generations and generations, maybe like men have been, because we didn't actually have control over our own money. But I think a big piece around why we do keep our head in the sand is just that education piece. Like we don't know what we're meant to be doing and we don't know what we don't know. I know for many years I'd get that super statement and I literally wouldn't even open it. I'd throw it straight in the bin because I was just like, it's not important. Like, why do I need to worry about that now? I'm 25. As I say I was trying to tackle Tinder, not my retirement. I'm like, that's a tomorrow problem. That's a Molly tomorrow problem. But yeah, what I really learned is if you do small things now, that is going to have a huge impact on your future. And also, I think another reason is women are just busy. <laughs> like, you know, they've got so much on and men are busy too. But like women, there's like the mental load. There's, you know, trying to do all the things. Sometimes we just don't make time for our finances. But I always say if we make time for our finances now, our finances will make time for us later. So it's really important that we actually take a bit of time out. And that's why I always encourage women to do it with their friends because it's that accountability. And we know we're more likely to achieve things when we've got accountability there. I'm laughing as you're sharing your stories around putting our head in the sand and when a bank statement or an envelope with a window came in, you said, oh, no, too hard, won't look at that. Because that was me for years and it was only recently that I've started working with a bookkeeper and all of a sudden, like, oh, this kind of makes sense. I'm making sense of this. I don't have to just put those envelopes away. I can deal with it. It's numbers. I can manage it. So what are the long-term consequences of not managing our money? Yeah, the biggest consequence is having no control over your life at retirement or just having no control of your life and always feeling that stress which, you know, that's not a fun way to live. I shared a stat that we were speaking about before. So, you know, women live on average five years longer than men. There's still a pay gap in this country. We are likely to take time off to raise children, look after elderly parents, which means we are retiring on a lot less. Yeah, it's changing a little bit, but it's around we'll retire at the moment on 42% less super than men and one in four of one in four women are retiring with no super at all. One of the highest growing demographics of people going into homelessness in this country is single women over the age of 55. So this is why we need to care. And it's also why we need to make sure that our money is lasting as long as we are. And investing is a fantastic way to do that, which I talk about in the book because I'm very passionate about women investing their money for the long term because it's actually not hard. And we get told this story that, you know, it's for the Wolf of Wall Street, it's for white men in towers who live in capital cities who have over $500,000. But you can actually get started investing with a dollar, with $50, with $500. It's so accessible now. And I really do think we need to reframe the way we think about money and just make it like, you know, we brush our teeth every night, you know, doing our finances, getting on top of our money, it's just part of adulting that we need to include in our life, kind of like, yeah, just in a normal part of general life. 
Yes, just that never-ending list of all the things we need to do as adults. And it's quite confronting when you share that stat around the number one group going into homelessness is women over 55. Like That is really heartbreaking and to think about each of those women and the work that they've done and contributed to be in that position. And, you know, a a lot of the time it might be through a divorce or a separation. I'm seeing it with some of my parents' friends at the moment. And it's just absolutely crazy. And I just, it breaks my heart because I think these are women who have worked so hard and now they're being dealt this card where it's like they're living in their car. They're having to rely on their kids. They've got no money of their own. That is exactly the reason why we need to do these small things now because it has a compounding effect over the long term. Yeah, I love that idea of doing small things. So it's not too scary doing small things. And that's the thing. Like we can do hard things. We can do small things. And people always think, you know, if I get a budget, it's going to change my lifestyle. Or if, you know, I start investing, it's going to change my life. Or I'm going to have to do all this stuff to get on top of my finances. Like, no, you just do small things all the time. You swap out an episode of Netflix to get on top of your super. And that's what I'm hoping with the book, people will go, oh, okay, I just need to do that one little task today. Okay, I just need to find my lost super. That's actually not that hard. I just need to log into the ATO or MyGov. Actually, finding your MyGov password is quite hard. (laughs) Where is it? What have I called it this time? But actually, that is the hardest part. Like the rest of it is very simple. And, you know, if you can do basic math, which I'm pretty sure all of us listening, we can do grade two math. You know, we can can totally do our budget. We can totally do our spending plan. We can invest. It's actually nothing about being good with numbers and math. It's all about behaviors and habits. So it sounds like that's a myth that we may have that you have to be good with numbers to be good with your personal finances. We're very good at myths that comes to our money. Oh, I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't get it. I'm not good with numbers. Someone else will look after it for me. Yeah, we hear them all the time. You know, investing's too risky or, oh, that's just, it's too expensive. But yeah, it's, it's a very different time now. Like we can all take charge of our money. And so as we're taking charge of our money, what are some things that we need to start thinking about? Well, I think a really good place to start with your money is just understanding what are your current beliefs around money and where did they come from? Because our money mindset was made up by the time we we're about seven years old and it's heavily influenced by how our parents behaved with money or our caregivers behaved with money. So looking at did my parents fight about money or did my mum use a credit card all the time or, you know, did she hide things from her father when she bought them or, you know, in the divorce, did they used to fight about money? So looking and reflecting back on what were the messages I got about money and then what are my current beliefs about money? We've just about to release a money mindset course with the gorgeous Karen Ely and she does this great example and it's a great question that you can ask yourself to think about your beliefs and just say, finish the sentence, rich people are. And it's so interesting. I did this with my LFC community the Ladies Finance Club community and the different words people would use. Some people would say they're evil, they're nasty, they're snobby, they're ugly. And other people would be like, they're successful, they're smart, they find opportunities, um, they're clever. And so you can see straight away, if you see rich people as snobby, evil, selfish, 
you're not going to want to be rich. You might be self-sabotaging, not even realizing. So when money comes in, you might be trying to get rid of it as fast as possible. So, um, and in the book, the first chapter is on mindset because it's so important. And the great thing about mindset is you can change it. You can change your beliefs. You can tell yourself new messages. You can reframe things. I'm so bad with money. Reframe. I'm getting better with money every day and putting a plan together. So once you've got your mindset um, shifted, then I think a really good place if you're feeling like a financial hot mess is actually creating a emergency fund. And this is like the first step. And any kind of finance guru you listen to, they always say, First step, create a bank or set up a bank account where you keep money there for a rainy day. And that money is not to be touched unless it's an emergency. Emergency being a medical emergency. Your car has issues, not like, I forgot my anniversary or hey, shots of the bar on me. Or, hmm, that's a really nice jacket. It's a wardrobe emergency. So emergency money only for emergencies. And that's why I call it my OMG fund because it's, you need to use it. You're normally like, oh my God, like something is bad's happened and I need cash. Not to be invested, not to put into a term deposit, not definitely not to be put in crypto. It is money there for a rainy day. And that is always like a really great place to start because with that for people, and I know for me, like a massive confession, I was horrendous with money. Like I didn't say the cent for so long. I just like money would come in, money would go out. I would just spend, spend, spend. And I think with that, setting up that emergency fund, if you're someone who used to be like me, where you just like, you are a spender, you're like, hey, I earn money to spend it. You're actually changing behavior. You're learning that it's, you know, you can save money and it's okay to have money there. And also the calmness you get from having money aside in a separate account, hashtag worth it. It is so true. There are so many moments where we think, oh, I hadn't planned for this. I hadn't planned for the car to break down or for this medical emergency or this medical scan that's going to cost me $770. Things pop up and that can put so much additional stress on us if we don't have the funds available. A hundred percent. And also if you've got a budget or a spending plan that you're sticking to and then you have like a big $100 medical issue come up, that's going to put your budget way out of whack. So if you can pop into your emergency fund, get it out of the emergency fund, then you can just start topping that up again over the next few paychecks. I'd love to circle back to that idea of money mindset and the different stories we tell ourselves about money and how that impacts our adulthood as you as a money coach. What have you noticed? Yeah, like it's amazing how much we actually take in and absorb as children and even little things like when parents don't discuss money in front of kids kids kind of automatically think that as a bad thing they're like oh well they're they're not talking about it or they talk about it in a hush voice or they talk about it they always close the door behind them so I'm always very encouraging and again there's a chapter on it in the book um, and I did speak to experts because I myself do not have children but I was a child so it makes me semi-qualified um, so you know make sure you're involving your kids in conversations around money you're explaining how it works you know we have like little activities that you can do with your kids but it's so important you know in the language we use like we can't afford that you know, shifting it to we're choosing not to buy that because remember, we're saving for a bike. So if you want that bike, that means, you know, actually explaining to them the concepts, but things like, you know, so many of us have negative associations of money because, you know, we've heard like 
too expensive, money doesn't grow on trees, like what do you think I'm made of, money. So really watching our language. And I talk about it in the book, but there was a man I recently heard speak, Andy Griffith, and he was part of a group that was traveling around Australia speaking at schools. And they would show an image of money, a pile of money, and the kids had to yell out, you know, what did that mean to them? And the kids were saying like, yeah, greedy, evil, fights, conflict. None of the kids are saying opportunity, you know, freedom, control. (laughs) So you can see what kind of messages they're getting from home around money. And I think especially at the moment where money is a stressful topic for people, cost of living is high, high, high. People are feeling the strain. Interest rates have risen. So again, getting really clear on where you're wanting to prioritize your spending and making sure that, you know, the kids are part of that conversation as well. My dad used to harp on a bit all the time about leaving the lights on. I was like, all he had to explain was that he goes to work and he works really hard. And when he sees us with turning the lights on, he feels like we're not respecting that. He's been doing these things. Like he just kind of be like, turn the lights off, turn the lights off. So it was, it's just like, Yeah, actually explaining the concept of money, how it works, ATMs, like kids sometimes think ATMs are magic money machines. No, you know, explaining that you've got to work really hard for that money. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I do understand that that becomes more of a challenge as well as we move to a cashless society. It's really interesting to think about that idea of the ATM. And when I was growing up, you do think, oh, money just sort of keeps coming out. But then once you start to earn your own, all of a sudden how precious it becomes and how much you look after it because you think, wow, this is actually hard to come by. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think as well, like understanding your money story and understanding your partner's money story is really important because if, if you grew up in a household where money was abundant and there was like, you know, you just didn't have to stress about money, you know, you might actually be a little bit of a money um, avoider because you're like, oh, well, someone else will look after it for me or I've never had to worry about it. So you might actually be not taking action. Whereas if your partner grew up in a house where maybe money was really scarce or money, you know, and they had to save really hard, then they're going to approach money very differently and they might hoard it or they might not enjoy spending it or they might, yeah, might want to hold on to it. So finding out each other's stories and then is really going to help you with your relationship going forward as well. I think it, it's also interesting um, just looking at different behaviors and like, you know, people with takeaway and like, I'm going to want takeaway great and you want to get takeaway five times. But for me, you know, a takeaway is a treat and that's something like I like to reward myself with. So always just looking out like different, yeah, signs. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about the people that we live with and the people that we work with, their stories around money and how it can come from different places. Yes. So absolutely had a like uh, we I remember having a friend in the UK and she was always so tight around money and so stingy and I was always so interested to know what has caused that where has that come from whereas I found out that she had earned the same amount as another friend and my other friend just money was never an issue it was always fine like this one would always be like oh can I have my 50 cents of the change back uh, whereas the, and like you would never know from talking to them that they earned the same amount and I was always so curious to know her, her money story but maybe one day I'll, I'll find out I've lost touch with her but maybe one day I'll find out and I think that's an interesting point to highlight that it's not necessarily how much we earn because if I look back on my career 
every pay increase that I had, and when you're a teacher, you get an increase at the same rate. Everybody gets an increase and then it plateaus. But with every increase, my lifestyle just expanded to make sure I could suck up all that funds. Lifestyle inflation can happen. Yeah. And I think with teachers, it's an interesting mind. Sometimes, sometimes speak to like teachers, nurses, people who I'd say are real givers to the, the community and to other people. And they've got this mindset a little bit around, well, I do the right thing in my job. So I'm just just kind of like I'm, I'm not going to be wealthy ever. On my podcast the other day, I had two teachers who have started property portfolios of property investors. They are filling it. And so I think that is something like, you know, oh, because I do the right thing, I'm not going to have money. That is a belief and that belief needs to change because that is not true. You can have a share portfolio. You can have properties. You can build a very good wealth on a teacher's wage. It is very much about your behaviors with money. Because if you're like, well, I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing, you know, I don't need much money to live on, you're going to be giving away a lot of money. You're going to be spending a lot of money. Whereas, again, like investing that money, having your goals, getting really clear on your goals, you can build some really great wealth. And highlighting that point there that just because we are an educator and just because we care deeply doesn't mean that we can't create space for our own personal finances too. A hundred percent. We can be great educators and take care of our money. I can literally, I'm seeing it all the time and it's so good. I love it. And so as you're working with women and seeing them transform their money stories, their beliefs, the way that they're pretty much the way that they relate to their money, what are you seeing are the benefits of taking this courageous action? I think the common benefit is just an overall calmness and and empowerment as well. They're like, look what I've created. Look what I've done all by myself. So stressful when you're living paycheck to paycheck or when you're in credit card debt. So, you know, building those emergency funds, getting your budget, knowing how much you're spending, knowing how much is coming in, going out and getting on top of it all. It brings a calmness, but it brings a real sense of empowerment as well because you know that if something happens, you've got this. That is so true. And when you say the word budget, there's a part of my skin that just, the B word, my body goes, oh, budget. I remember someone a few years ago said, no, don't call it a budget. Call it a wealth maximizing plan. I can go with a wealth maximizing plan. Oh, yeah. People say call it a spending plan. You're just telling your money where to go so you don't have to wonder where it went. Oh, that is such a good one. So as we're thinking about our plans how do we do it? If we've been in denial, if we've been hiding all the envelopes and just getting by, how do we start? Yeah. So I think a really good place to start, which isn't overwhelming, is literally just get out the old school pen and paper. Get out the pen and paper, list out your income, and then list out your expenses. And I think it's important as well that you look at your pay slip because mistakes are made and you want to make sure that you're being paid the right amount of super is going to the right location. The What is saying is hitting your account is actually hitting your account. So looking at your pay slip, looking at your income and then looking at what your expenses are. So just jotting it all down and you know you can change it later but this is like just to get a really good understanding of where your money is currently going. And there's some really great apps out there that do this for you. There's WeMoney, there's Frollo. Also, all the banks pretty much do this now. I noticed the other day, pretty much all the big four, they actually have a place on your online banking where they categorize your spending for you so you can see month to month how much you're spending in the different categories because 
we're very good at underestimating how much we spend. And I hear that a lot. People are like, I only spend like $50 on groceries. And then they realize they spend $320 on groceries a week. So call it your old budget, your old you budget and your new you budget. So you actually list out, okay, how much am I spending in each area? And then once you've got that data, you've got that information, you can actually write yourself a new one. And it's important to be realistic because, you know, budgets fail when we're not realistic, when we haven't, yeah, we haven't put money aside for unexpected expenses, bills that we forget about, celebrations that we forget about. So making sure that it actually is going to like it reflects and it takes around 90 days to get a budget, right? So if you don't get it right the first time, that's okay. But it's really important also in your budget to build in your goals. And we've just brought out a budget journal with the amazing Christina Carlson, who was the original founder of Kiki K and is now started a new company called Dream Life. I built it into the budget in that, that you've got to put money aside for what are your goals? Because that's called paying yourself first. Because otherwise your money comes in, you know, you, you separate it into your different areas. And I always like, you know, having different accounts for different things. Like my fun money, I like to keep separate from my living expenses or my future money. But yeah, when, when you haven't put money aside for your goals, you're paying everything else but you're not actually paying yourself first. And I always use this example of when I lived in London, there was an air hostess I spoke to. And I was like, what do you like with money? And she's like, I'm really good. And I was like, oh, I never get that answer. Love that. And she's like, yeah, I save half of every paycheck and I'm about to buy a property. And I was like, amazing. And then I spoke to a business exec who was earning triple the amount of this air hostess. And I said, how are you with money? And she's like, shocking. I've got credit card debt got by now pay later debt. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really struggling with my money. Every time I get a pay increase, my lifestyle just it was massive lifestyle inflation. And she was not paying herself first. So she wasn't putting money aside for any of her goals. So on paper, the woman who you would think, you know, who's earning nowhere near as much as the high level business exec, she was way wealthier on paper. So yeah, I think it's really important that within your budget, you're putting money aside for your goals. So if your goal is to top up your emergency fund or it is to take a year off and go traveling or if it is to buy a property or save for your second deposit, putting that in there. And so when you get paid, you're putting money straight away into those different saving pots. Gosh, as you're talking, Molly, it's reminding me of well-being and the fact that we need to take care of ourselves before we take care of everybody else. And it sounds the same with our money. We need to be really deliberate in our choices and as it comes in, putting it somewhere so it's going to help us into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And actually when you go through your budget, that's where you can see like, actually are my current spending behaviours aligning with my values? Like, oh, like does that, is that where I choose? To, is that where I want to choose to spend my hard-earned money? But yeah, it is so, it's so true as well. And actually what I love is some of our ladies like to have set up Christmas accounts and self-care accounts as well. So they know that when the paycheck happens, they put a little bit of that into a self-care account or into a Christmas account, which means when these bigger like moments happen, you know, it's not a scramble or they've got, they've got money sitting there or they can spend money on themselves and not feel guilty about it. Like I know many women sometimes do, but it's your money and you can do what you want with it. And that's the great thing about a budget. It's your budget. <laughs> no one knows. You can, you can manage it however you want. And we can make our own rules and really thinking about this new budget, this new version of me, 
where do I want to put my money? Where do I want to put my hard-earned cash that I'm working really hard for? Where do I want that to go? Who do I want that to serve? Yeah, and if you want to spend that $5 every morning on a coffee because that brings you joy and that means you're going to have a wonderful day, do that. If it means maybe you've got three subscriptions to different shows or you didn't even realize like I was speaking to a lady the other day and she didn't even realize she had like she had subscriptions to the same thing on different cards so like it is good to actually do this audit every now and then and actually yeah make sure like is this where I want my money going because sometimes it really isn't and we just get caught up in the flow of life where we haven't actually made that choice that this is where I want it to go. Thank you so much for bringing our awareness to this topic because it is something we try to avoid And when I picked up your book, I'm like, this is fun. Like, I can do this. This is really manageable. It doesn't feel overwhelming. There's no big scary words. It's fun. It's liberating. That's what I was trying to get with it because I know when I started learning about money, it was all very male, pale, stale, and it was so boring and blue. And I was like, why is this so boring? (laughs) Why is it so jargony and confusing? Like my girlfriends would never want to pick this up. I don't want to pick it up. So yeah, it was definitely, I'm definitely trying to make it. So it's definitely not confused people. There's no scary graphs in there. No scary jargon. Not that we like can totally understand these things, but like, it's just boring. So to wrap up this incredible conversation, Molly, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Absolutely. I am inspired by. I am inspired by Reese Witherspoon. She's amazing. Love her. When life feels hard. Exercise. An underrated skill is. Organization. And I'm looking forward to. Going to Europe with my girlfriends in July. Yay. So that sounds like you did a really good job on your budget. So you planned for that trip, which is absolutely sensational. Thank you so much, Molly, for putting this book out into the world and reminding us that we need to take better care of our personal finances so we can liberate ourselves in the future. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, if you're listening, please go take action. You can totally do this. It's not as hard as you think, I promise. I hope this conversation with Molly has inspired you to rethink your relationship with your personal finances and has inspired you to take control of your money and your future. Molly's book, Girls Just Want to Have Funds, is now available in-store and online. To learn more about Molly and the Ladies Finance Club, see the show notes for more details. If you've loved this episode, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, Open Mind Education. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. And a heads up, if you're thinking about booking me to speak at your school, organisation or community event this year, make sure you reach out soon because my calendar is filling fast. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash podcast 85. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.